Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue. And you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast, your weekly fill of all things food, drink and travel related, brought to you by the Greedy Goblins. It is Halloween, forgive me, in the Olive Magazine team. My name is Laura Rowe, I'm the editor and your host for this week. This episode, Olive's cookery writer Adam chats to author of the Mushroom Cookbook, Liz O'Keefe and Liz are actually thousands of the little fungi, Liz's favourite type and her way to eat them. Digital intern Amanda met up with Samaya Asmani to discuss the unique flavours of Pakistani cuisine and her career as a food writer, cookery teacher and author. Plus, we're getting super organised with our top tips for a crafty Christmas from Olive R editor and stationery extraordinaire Nikki James. Nikki's got loads of advice for making foodie gifts, decorations, table settings and more. So let's get cracking, shall we? Here's Adam and Liz talking mushrooms. Hey guys, I'm here with Liz O'Keefe, who's just published a book all about mushrooms. Can you tell us a bit more about the book and when it's out, where is it, and all those sort of good things? Yeah, well, it came out um, at the beginning of October. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get it on Amazon and on Waterstones and any good bookshop. Um, and basically, it's called The Mushroom Cookbook, but it's a bit more than that. It's basically around about 40 mushroom profiles. So different mushrooms from all over Europe and the world. Um, And it looks at cultivated mushrooms as well as the wild mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So you've got profiles on your normal everyday portobello mushrooms, Mm -hmm. button mushrooms, down to your more exotic um, porcini mushrooms or trompettes Mm -hmm. um, or Caesar mushrooms, my favourite. And then the second half of the book 
goes on to look at how you cook them, how you cook them according to the different types, and then 55 um, recipes, and they're step-by-step picture yeah. recipes. Well, that's what leads me into my first question, really, is, like, is it frustrating that, obviously, you're, you've uh, detailed all these mushrooms, but is it frustrating that most people's access and knowledge of mushrooms is just to, like, portobello, chestnut? That's, yeah, or, like, and button, I'd say. Yeah, I mean... Um, Probably not frustrating, more kind of exciting that people haven't discovered it yet. Yeah, true. Um, they've got a whole world ahead of them um, if they haven't, you know, quite got there. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm sure a lot of people know, you know, have their favourite mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a lot of people just are still used to kind of just popping into a supermarket and picking yeah. up um, just your normal white mushrooms. Yeah. But um, that's one of the reasons why we wrote the book. I wrote the book with um, Michael Hines, mm-hmm. who's actually the Mushroom Man. The Mushroom Man. Yeah. The Mushroom Man. The Mushroom Man, yeah. yeah. He could do nothing else but yeah. deal with, with mushrooms, basically. So he is a wholesaler down at Covent Garden Market, and he um, distributes mushrooms. He sources mushrooms out to all of the London... Um, Hotels and restaurants wow, and further okay. afield mm-hmm. and delis. Mm-hmm. So he's been dealing with so mushrooms he's, he's for 25 like, years. He's the go-to guy. Yeah, for yeah. That's cool. For whatever so it's a mushroom real you want. Authoritative, authoritative <laughs> mushroom voice. Yeah. So we, we, I mean, I've always like been fascinated with mushrooms, and I've known him for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to just go in and steal mushrooms from him, basically. Yeah. In, in a nice way. In a nice way. Um, ask if he would give me mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah. And, we decided that it would be a good idea to try and get people into the other wonderful mushrooms you can find. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's a big world out there. There's probably, I think the last like um, suggestion was that there's probably about 2,300 wow. edible species. Wow. Um, so we really do just... That's barely like, even scrape yeah. the surface of we really what is actually... We really Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a little interesting fact that you write in the book is that mushrooms are the blue bacteria in blue cheese, the fizz in your drinks, and even the protein in pet food. Can you explain that? Because I was trying to work out how and where. Yeah, so it's a fungi that starts off um, with the, the blue bacteria. So they, they're the starting point to a lot of um, proteins. Um, like, it's a growing thing. It's, mm. You know, it can be led towards bacteria so um yeah it's just it's crazy how many things like mushrooms literally hold us all together yeah i mean and actually it was interesting reading that the mushroom that we know is really just the above ground fruit which is connected yeah. to a sort of biodiversity biodiverse little um world underneath almost which yeah. is actually also the mushroom yeah so so the mushroom is below the ground the mushroom is can it's it's Massive, yeah, um, and the yeah the fruiting bodies that come up above the soil, mm-hmm. with the exception of um, of truffles, mm-hmm. which stay underneath. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They're just they're basically what happens when they grow. Mm-hmm. So um, when you know when any plant becomes stress, stressed, they um, produce something. Yeah. So you've got two different types of mushrooms. It gets a bit sciencey. That's cool. Why um, not? Why not? So you've got your saponic mushrooms and your mycorrhizal mushrooms. Um, so the um, mycorrhizal mushrooms kind of like grow with um, the tree 
any kind of tree roots yeah. and kind of share nutrients. And what would be a good um, example of that? Like, a, like an oak tree. Yeah, or, or, or like the, the mushroom, I mean. Like what would be a good Oh, one? right, sorry. Um, oh, sorry. So <laughs> any kind of wild mushroom. So like a girole um, or something like that. Yeah, girole's definitely. Yeah. Um, so you... Um, trumpets, mm-hmm. mushrooms. Um, so you will see them around trees. Around so trees, they're yeah. your, like the forest mushrooms. Because I know that's a good way of like, well, the little I know about foraging mushrooms is to look for the type of tree that you want in, and you'll find the type of yeah, mushroom because like, yeah. they gravitate towards one, like giraffes yeah, or gravitate to an oak tree or something. And then you're sort of, yeah. So actually yeah, you're not really looking down types. at the ground. You're sort of looking... Up and back, you know, is to look at what the trees are, then you find the tree, and then yeah. And there's always like anomalies, like things in nature kind of happen, and yeah. you get your parasitic mushrooms yeah. that will like take over other mushrooms mm-hmm. and they'll they'll go off on their own way. Yeah, yeah. It's wherever the spores go as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and then with the satroponic mushrooms, mm-hmm. that's more like field mushrooms or hedgeways, right? Um, and they're usually. Um, on decaying matter mm-hmm. or in grass mm-hmm. and they need something to grow through. From, uh, yeah. through. So yeah, would yeah. that be similar to how we... Is that more similar to what we grow mushrooms? So, like, through compost is what, in the West, is pretty yeah. much what we would say, so like, your button yeah. mushrooms and it's your chestnuts. Cultivate, that's cultivate. how cultivated mushrooms mm-hmm. um, are cultivated, grown. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, it's, it's quite different. It's very hard to cultivate... And all mushrooms are originally wild. Yes. But um, what we term wild mushrooms, it's hard to cultivate. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, things like, you know, porcinis. Yeah. You know, you just, just won't. You've just got to gotta find yeah, them. Yeah, you just have to go out and Which find is why them, yeah. they're so expensive. Yes. Yeah, I think there's, there's a certain charm in that, I think, as well. Yeah. You know, it's sort yeah. of, it, it puts a premium on them, but that, that means that it's a, it's a product you have to go and get you know you have to go and yeah. find it and well, they're, well they're also more um they're tastier mm. as well you know like you pay a pound a punnet for some um button mushrooms that will can only really taste of that environment that they were grown yeah. in which is very clinical and rightly so mm-hmm. um but then you know that's why people pay more to um, get professional foragers yeah. to go out there and know where the mushrooms are, pick the best mushrooms, mm-hmm. um, get them the, you know, the fact that they find them and they're not like covered in maggots already. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so the, the difference in um, the difference in flavour and texture and smell between like a button mushroom and a porcini is mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. you know, completely miles, different miles. worlds. It's like they're not even the same. Mm-hmm type of food stuff yeah so what is your favorite mushroom and what is your favorite way to cook it or just in general what's your favorite way to produce, like cook mushrooms okay so i'm gonna go with the favorite mushroom question because um i never tire of answering this question because i it's hard to pick but i always know mm-hmm. when someone asks it's already lined up you yeah already know what yeah say. yeah because whenever i like i i love it when i'm i get given them which i've been a you know, privileged situation to be friends with the mushroom man. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, whenever I see them in like Borough Market mm-hmm. or down at a deli, like I can't resist buying like a them. Straight it to doesn't it. matter. Yeah, yeah. And then I always get them to weigh them. I'm like, okay, yes, yeah, no, yeah. I'll have them. Yeah, but yeah. so they're um, that was a big build up. But they're Caesar mushrooms. Okay, tell us a little bit about, about um, them. So they're for a start, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a golden kind of orangey to bright orange color, a little bit like chestnut. Nice. Colour yeah, and, yeah. and actually they're a little bit chestnutty in mm-hmm. their shape and um, they kind of grow like a big light bulb. Nice. So like <laughs> less stem. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying yeah, to imagine it. Like less yeah. stem, kind well, of like a. They're kind of like the. Um, they have like a coating that grows over them. Okay. So they're. Um, so you, Is that you, like a protective, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a protective veil mm-hmm. and um, you know, like the kind of. Um, mushroom you get on a field mushroom um, around like um, the stem. Yeah. Just kind of like mushroom material. Yeah, yeah. Um, it like frilly, it. like the frilly sort of. Yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. The white stuff. The white, it, yeah. it kind of encloses the mushroom. Mm-hmm. So as it grows, its gills and the actual top are completely covered mm-hmm. and therefore like almost like kitchen ready. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's like the clean. most convenient Yeah, yeah. Mushroom. So you just, you just got to peel and discard um, that outer layer and then yeah, you've got that beautiful clean mushroom. Yeah, if you manage to get them before right. they come out of that and then they turn into more like the typical um, like gilled mushroom yeah, okay. um, with a cap. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the top is like slightly sticky, um, and then you make sure that's you know nice and clean by just a bit of like wet cloth. And mm-hmm. then inside you've got these really lovely, almost velvety yellow gills wow. that kind of just if you get them like quite young, mm-hmm. like they just like flitter off. You know, you just pull them off, yeah. and then um, you could just eat them raw. Yeah. Um, and like they're really good with um, like over a, a salad mm-hmm. or with. They're great with like parma ham. In yeah. in the book, I've got like a quite a, um, a decadent um, like canapé kind of thing, okay. and um, it's uh, it's globe artichoke leaves mm-hmm. with the Caesar mushrooms scattered nice. on top with a bit of parma ham. Um, and then um, and then lemon zest. Oh, very nice. Yeah, which a bit also, of sherry. That, that sounds delicious. Which also leads me into my next question of like, why don't we eat more raw, raw mushrooms? It's kind of always, for me, it was always something that was a bit lazy. It was like sliced up and thrown in a salad just to bulk it out a bit. Yeah. But like, if you go to somewhere like Italy, yeah. where they'll eat like beautiful wild mushrooms, completely raw, just dressed in olive oil, lemon juice, bit of salt, and then just... They're so delicious like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something we kind of miss out on um, in the UK because um, there's a there's a lot of uh, like scaremongering around um, mushrooms. Yeah. Um, people aren't sure whether they're safe to eat. Yeah, yeah. We also use a lot of mushrooms too old. Yeah. Like we don't like mushrooms really are best eaten the day you the day, buy them yeah, yeah. especially if you're going to eat them raw mm-hmm. I mean like there are plenty of wild mushrooms that are lovely raw mm-hmm. but just even like button mushrooms if you the day you buy them if you yeah. just slice them really really thinly they can really taste of like coconut mm-hmm. and they can just be really refreshing mm-hmm. and something different um, but also it's important to say that with some wild mushrooms mm-hmm. 
um, they can be poisonous yeah, like, if I you eat them raw. I, I didn't know that morels were... Yeah, you can't. I'm it, pretty it, it's sure just, it's just used... tummy upset. It, it won't kill mm. you. But, you know, if you're young or old or, you know, like... It's just not a good idea. But that's why this book is so good. I mean, I would say that, but, you know, we have, like, the profiles mention, you know, can you eat them raw, Um, how you should um, prepare them to make sure that, you know, you find something in a market Mm -hmm. or even, you know, a lot of the supermarkets are doing wild packs um, now. Yeah, Um, that's the thing. People have so much more access to the the wild. You can get your rolls and things in those little packs and shimeji and all that. It's like Japanese-style ones, which is really cool. For me as a food writer, that's really cool for me because it opens so many doors to different things that well, I yeah, can do. Oh, yeah, you can include them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's what was so great for, you know, as we were putting the book together, mm-hmm. I think the, you know, a couple of supermarkets started the wild packs. Yeah. Um, and the and as you say the cultivated packs mm-hmm. and it just opens it out for, you know, it's actually accessible. Like, yeah. People can find pretty much, like... 50% of these mushrooms yeah. in the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously it's seasonal. Mushrooms are very seasonal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's a bit of a myth that they're only available in um, autumn because yeah. there's, the, you know, like the morel, you know, very grows, springtime grows mushroom. over a huge area, which yeah. also has a lot of differing temperatures, I suppose, if, like, you can get them from varying different places. And... Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of will always be very seasonal mm. like the Caesar mushroom for example yeah. that only has probably about a month wow okay and it's in like you know uh, just in like Italy and, and France Specific and Romania yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. and um and morels will only go from like probably about February um, to the start of summer yeah um, but you're right with like I think Jerolles are um pretty much all year round because yeah, you can yeah. get them from so many different, different places, places as the yeah, weather yeah. moves mm-hmm. which is great yeah good well Liz thank you so much for uh, talking to me about uh, mushrooms I hope you guys enjoyed it thank you very much thank you cheers next we have Amanda and Samaya Hello, I'm here with Samaya Ismani and we're going to talk about all things to do with Pakistani cuisine. Samaya is a food writer, author and cookery teacher and she's also well-known for UK's go-to Pakistani cuisine. So I thought we'd start with kind of your background, your heritage, where it all kind of came from. Sure. Oh, well, I grew up in Karachi in the southern part of Pakistan and I spent my whole life there. And I don't think I actually realised how definitive the flavours that I grew up with were until I moved to the UK about 12 years ago. And it sort of just struck me then, and I felt a real sort of homesickness for my food, and I couldn't find those flavours here. Yes, which is kind of what started uh, me to discover a little bit more about the cuisine. But definitely, I grew up with a real passion for cooking, and that's where it all comes from. And did you, did you ever cook back at home or did the cooking primarily start when you were here? Well, no, I always cooked. I think I pretty much cooked since I was a child. And I, I, I cooked and learnt vicariously watching all my aunts and my mum and my grandmothers cook. And I sort of just picked up things. In fact, when I moved here, it was funny because my mum said, you don't even know how to cook because <laughs> I never really taught you. And I said, well, I just actually learned watching you. Yeah. And, and those kind of memories sort of really inspired me to speak more yeah, about it and talk yeah. more about it yeah there must have been so many flavors and like spices that you used to smell that you didn't really even know yeah. were what would you say is quite a common 
Pakistani cuisine spice? Like, what would you say is quite common to their it's, dishes? It's hard to define one specific yeah. spice that defines Pakistani cuisine, but I think that the in, the ultimate flavor of Pakistani food is a very haunting, layered, spiced flavor of food. And I think it comes from a heritage of many different confluence of the South Asian continent, subcontinent, and all the flavors have combined to create Pakistani food as an individual flavor. And I think that layering of different flavors is what defines the flavor of Pakistan. So it's not just one spice, but if it was to be a variety of a few spices, I would say darker spices like star anise and black cardamom and black cumin, the deeper, richer flavors that um, sort of infuse in the food, but then stay on the palate when you bite into them. That is the kind of flavor of Pakistani food. Definitely like an infusion with also like Indian type food because it's very like curry based and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's also, there's different, there's such regional differences in the country. So it's hard to say that one specific kind of food defines Pakistani food. But I think the real thing that defines it is that ultimate style of cooking that is just created over centuries and migration and border influences and, you know, migration from 1947 to all the borders that are bordering Pakistan, yeah, Afghanistan, exactly. Iran, China, obviously it North all India. Definitely has its They've all influenced the cuisine. Yeah. But then also the local cuisine that obviously was very much a definitive cuisine before partition. So all of that mixed together creates a new flavour. And what would you say is like quite a local flavour that began with the cuisine, like or like local food? That well, I mean, really... it's hard because regionally, as any other country that has a lot of regions and provincial regions, it, every region has different food um, that defines that region. So if you were to really look at, say, Balochistan, which is sort of northwest of Pakistan, uh, sort of western Pakistan, that has got more arid climate. So they do a lot of like desert cooking, so lots of spit roast. One of the dishes there is called saji, which is cooked over a spit roast fire. And it's very simple. There's no chili, there's no spice in that region. So it's just salt and a bit of very local spices cooked on a really slow cooked um, spit fire. So that's one of the dishes. Yeah. Um, and then if you Sounds were to go... Delicious. Yeah, it's delicious. And if you go to Peshawar in the northwest sort of area of Pakistan, you definitely see more animal fat cooking with meat. So definitely more mutton, lamb cooking with salt. So that's more salt. like juice kind of sauce base. So a very Afghani influence on that cooking. So there's definitely that. If you go to Lahore, which is obviously, you know, everyone knows about Lahori food, but that's very Mughlai cooking based. But then again, they have very specific kind of regional dishes. Like, for example, they have charga, which is a chicken that is steamed and then um, flash fried, which is very local to Lahore. So there's like loads of different local so cuisines. Much that, yeah, that you there's don't even... so much to know. And, you know, little parts in the Punjab region of Pakistan have yeah. their own food. So it's it's a mind. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, with your career, um, you've obviously launched cookbooks. Um, and with, within those cookbooks you've got obviously your initial memoir summers under the tamarind tree what's like the specific style would you say obviously i've read it i've seen it, yeah. but like to our <laughs> listeners and everything like what's your kind of i would say that's the food i grew up at home yeah with. okay um so that really defines the food that i grew up with that my mum cooked that my grands cooked and I think that's an interesting one because it speaks of somebody who was a first generation Pakistani yeah uh so I was born in in the 70s so much after partition uh, but my parents were both born in in India in British India so they were migrants to Pakistan so they moved from different parts so my mum came from Amritsar and my dad came from the northwest in, near Lucknow so they brought in, kind in of yeah so yeah, they brought their flavors wow. and then they kind of settled in Karachi which is in Sindh province which you know they were 
complete outsiders there. So they kind of integrated their cuisine and my grandmothers and my, everybody in my family yeah, started to cook lovely. the local regional Aww. influences. So I kind of picked that up. Yeah. So it defines an, an immigrant cuisine, really. Um, and, and I think then I picked up loads of ideas from friends that were local people. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's basically my dining table yeah. in a book. <laughs> and it's like, you said it's like your memoir, so it's very... Um like your parents have brought it from all over so it's not specific to something it's specific to no. you and your family yeah which is so nice yeah and there's a bit of things that i picked up while living there and having friends that are people born in that region um so yeah it's a complete mix of everything that i grew up with and you obviously do like cookery classes as well as being an author and everything else and in those cookery classes do you have like set menus that you use or like specific dishes that are go- more easier go to at home for yeah the kind of more everyday cook definitely i mean my cookery class is kind a range between um, sort of things that I would cook at home to different parts of the country that people don't know about. So sort of maybe more northern cuisine from the country, where which is definitely more influenced by Central Asian food. So they're dumplings and soups with noodles and stuff. So I do all sorts of things that expose people to the, the distinctive cuisine of the country and also unknown and unre- you know unknown recipes that people don't know. So I like people to kind of try everything from the yeah, country. Yeah, definitely. And do you, would you say a lot of the cuisine is quite easy to make at home or because there's so, so many yeah I think parts of it the slightly richer food the slow cooked food has got loads of spices and people get quite daunted by that and I think what I always tell people in the, and I think cookery classes are great that way because you can actually be a voice to the book and say look don't get daunted by all these recipes yeah. and all the ingredients just go by the method and use what you have yeah. and try to play with a few spices that you have rather yeah. than get completely bogged down by a and huge list exactly and I think people sometimes get nervous although you're following a recipe yeah word for word which is great but people are like I've got to have this spice yeah. but as long as you've kind of got the body of it in there I know but I'm guilty of that yeah, if, I, if I'm making say northern Thai Thai food I'll be like I want this and I want yeah. that but it's actually Searching the I streets. have some lemongrass let's <laughs> yeah. start with that exactly and you've got um, your new cookbook that came out this this year um, Mountain Berries and Desert Spice do you want to talk to me a bit more yeah. about that is that more pudding based yes it was definitely pudding based and I think that you know Asian cuisine has a lot of spicy food but I think the desserts never get enough of a voice they're always that afterthought of you know the end of a South Asian meal where you say oh well you know I'm too full to have South Asian yeah, yeah, yeah. but I think there's a lot of celebration of um, togetherness and festivity and exchanging gifts as sweets um, that I really wanted to talk about and there's a whole culture that people don't yeah. know about I mean I myself I yeah. don't know loads it's all quite based on the, the ingredients you've just spoken about the more savoury bits so. yeah so I wanted to expose that I thought it was it was a lovely story and I think in a day where everyone's very scared of sugar it's yes. also time to celebrate sugar sometimes and also the fact that a lot of our desserts have lots of fresh fruits and some spice and a little bit of excitement a little indulgence yeah. always is great so. and yeah exactly like you said like even little bits of fruit, fruit as long as you spice up a little yeah. bit it can make, give so much more exactly and I thought I just wanted to expose things like people didn't know about like pancakes from our country and you know there's so many pancakes in the book and be amazed that in different parts of the country there's loads of pancakes there's uh, you know there are dumplings there's puddings made out of vermicelli um, there's a kind of trifle with jelly you know there were all these different recipes I just grew up never really wanting no. as much but when I moved here I actually started craving them <laughs> and I was like that's what well, actually I mean, inspired yeah. me to write the book and it's 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 a bit of you know it says um, uh, mountain berries and desert spice sweet inspirations from the Hunza Valley to the Arabian Sea and it really is like goes all the way from the north down down to the Arabian Sea sort of exploring the regions of the country and all the different desserts that I grew up learning and some of them are slightly modernized and made easy 
easy for the Western cook. Uh, but I hope that essentially they have that level of authenticity that I grew up yeah. with. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. I look forward to reading it myself. And so what's like next for you? Have you? Do you think any sort of restaurants or supper oh. clubs? Or Well, I'm doing loads of events. I'm doing loads of supper clubs and pop-ups around London, Bath, um, and around the country in, in Scotland as well, where I am based now. But I am hoping to... I've pitched a, a few more ideas for books, so I've definitely got many books under my belt there. Hopefully, yeah. they will at uh. some point come up to there, to the publications. Sort of, but right now, I just have to focus on promoting the two that I have already. Uh, but yes, many more stories to tell, many more flavours to explore, and I think lots of regions to highlight to the world definitely it's exciting and i think it's a cuisine that's definitely still evolving within london and the uk i think so, so. i think it's, it's evolving within the country itself yeah. because you know it's only if you think about it pakistan's only 70 years old this year but it is you know it's a cuisine that's been in the making for centuries and i think with that history and the fact that it's a very young country it's a real interesting cuisine that's yeah developing. definitely yeah. definitely oh thank you so much <laughs> thank and, um, you amanda see you again soon see you soon thank you And last but not least, here's Nikki and I getting creative. Okay, hello, this is Laura, the editor of Olive, and I'm here with Nikki, our, our editor. Hi! Now, you might remember Nikki from last year, because she's the creative, well, we're all creative, I hope, but the particularly crafty one in the team. And uh, we were having a conversation before planning our December issue, which is kind of our get-ready-for-Christmas issue. I know it seems terrifying thinking about <laughs> that now, but you need to get ahead. We're getting organised this year. Um, and we kind of thought it'd be really nice to kind of do some DIY decorations and potentially some gifts and things and we would utilise Nikki's wonderful skills. Um, Nikki also has a stationary business called Betty Lou Design so you guys should all check that out and we're kind of tapping into all the tips and tricks she uses in that business and on the magazine of course. So Nikki. Hi. I've given away all my trade secrets. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, let's go through some of the things that we've got in the feature because um, if you guys haven't seen it you really should. There's some beautiful inspirational things to have a look at but let's talk about some of the things that people can do at home. Definitely. Should we start with one of my favourites? Should we start with the um, mug? Yes. So this is a really cool and really cheap way to give really a, a personalised beautiful gift to one of your friends that's a foodie or otherwise everyone, everyone drinks tea don't they? This is very true. <laughs> tea or um, coffee? Yes um, indeed. So basically Basically, you just buy a plain white mug, which yep. you can get from anywhere. And yep. like, you can get one that's a bit fancier or cheaper, like as much as you like. Um, and then you use nail varnish to um, dip it. Okay. Um, so basically, I we went for like tearly greens because they're really trendy right now. Yeah. Um, so you, it's really you have to be so quick; it's unreal. <laughs> <laughs> I had a few failed attempts. Um, so you get your tepid water you put your nail varnish in and you only need like a few drops so it's really like good because you can buy a couple of nail varnishes and it will do your whole yeah set. i love the idea of this and you say buy them but i've got i don't know about any other ladies or gentlemen out there but i have a huge <laughs> box of nail varnishes I that i haven't used and like don't use anymore yeah. um and i don't know what to do with them don't want to throw them yeah. away i've got sentimental attachment yeah. to them um so yeah you want to basically you want a container that you can throw away because yeah. the nail varnish might damage the container exactly. so maybe like a cheap washing up bowl or something yeah. Yeah, like yeah, that. that's or, like perfect. Or like we, I use like an old like celebrations box. Oh, perfect. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you just dip the nail varnish in the water. Yeah, and then dunk yeah. the mug. And then you dunk <laughs> the mug. Like so you swill it and dunk. But okay. you have to be like so quick. Okay. Because um, basically the nail varnish sets really quickly. Right, okay. So like, and it goes really like 
yuck. Okay. <laughs> so it's really important to so do Nikki's it. Nikki's done all the hard work for you so that you yeah. don't have to go through this readers. Exactly. Um, but a really good like tip is that you can use like a nail varnish remover and like literally clean it all off if it goes right. wrong. So it's not like you're gonna end up buying twenty thousand mugs no. to perfect <laughs> the art. Um, so yeah, it's really good. And then you just use like a little sealant spray. Okay. Um which you can get we've got it in the feature from where you can get it from. And yeah. There you go. Yeah, so it looks really pretty. It's kind of white mug and then this really unique swirly design for yeah. the nail varnish. So definitely have a look in the feet to check that one out. Um, definitely give it a go. Anything else you think we should be doing um, this this year from your feature, Nikki? So I definitely think that you should all make your own wrapping paper. Because okay. also it's a real lovely statement under the tree. Yeah. So I know like obviously like the tradition, if you've got kids especially, like you put it out in the evening and Santa's been. Yeah. But for us grown-ups, <laughs> <laughs> I love hitting my presents under the tree right from the like time yeah. the tree's up because yeah, it definitely. looks pretty. Um, so for this one, I just bought sort of um, plain black and white paper but you can obviously use any colour you like and I went to town um it's quite messy so make sure you sort of protect your house but mm. you just literally like flick paint okay um it's a really pretty effect actually isn't it so yeah. um yeah Nikki's gone for this amazing monochrome design so white and black and with obviously contrasting paint there's a trend here isn't there's there? a the trend white and black yeah trend. um <laughs> and it looks amazing it's really dramatic it it's so simple, obviously, yeah. and really unique to you because nobody yeah. else is going to have that design. Yeah, exactly. And depending on how crafty you are, so you can put um, wax seals on them. So you yeah. can get, like, personalised wax seal stamps, which you can wear on, like, Etsy and things. Okay. That's not in the feature, so that's a little, oh, extra, little extra tip. A little extra tip okay, for good. you. Um, and make your own wax seal stamps. Um, but then also that leads on very nicely to our um, gift tags. Um, so we've been really kind to you and I've designed, pre-designed you some gift tags that you can download from olivemagazine.com. We're very good um, like this and they are so cool. Can you just go through some of the designs <laughs> as well? Because you did one for me, didn't you, yeah, as well? Yeah, I did. Especially. An Avo Merry Xmas. I love this. Because uh, Laura's got her avocado obsession. <laughs> um, seasoned greetings. Because I am a bit of a joker at olives so I mean yeah. I wasn't going to just do some standard <laughs> ones there are standard ones there's like Merry Christmas and things but yeah Prosecco ho <laughs> nice and playful and they're really really chic and really again quirky and unique and I think they'll really jazz up any wrapper even if you don't do the homemade wrapping paper and just had these that would make brown paper they'd look really cool too yeah definitely yeah uh, so you can download those at olivemagazine.com right and you have yep. the top design yep so you have the top design um which has obviously got the quirky names on it mm-hmm. um, and then also the bottom one so you print them both and okay. then you hole punch through like cut them out hole punch through and then just twine them with some like lovely ribbon um, and then stick them on your presents so, amazing yeah. okay anything else um, so we're a bit obsessed with gold at the moment and metallic so yeah. Olive, like we're all talking about it very on trend crazy and yeah. it's going to be like the colour of the year next year like that trend is like, okay. apparently supposed to be like the colour of next year we knew we're so ahead of the curve yeah exactly just feels very luxurious doesn't it this time of year to do metallic so yeah. yeah we're all about that yep so we've done um make your own baubles okay um so like little gifty things that you can hang from your tree i love um, the idea of these yeah so you like fill them with like chocolates and hang them from your tree so we spray painted some we dipped some in gold leaf um, really lush and yeah it's just a really like lovely like finish um and so much nicer than like what everybody else has on their tree yeah exactly a bit, so. a bit more classy yeah exactly like definitely um, I guess another one to talk about is my um, 
advent calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, it's like a make your own advent calendar. So it becomes like a real statement decoration in your home. Yeah. It's not just like your standard normal one with like the little windows yeah like, no one else will have this yeah exactly apart from very clever or, olive, olive readers, readers. <laughs> <laughs> um so i basically i bought a pole but you yep. can go foraging for a suitable stick yeah um if you want something a bit more rustic um and then you hang foliage from that pole and yeah. then you tie all of your like little gift boxes such a um, nice idea so yeah you have this hanging pole and then ribbons of different length with yeah. the with the boxes with the with numbers the boxes, yeah. yeah and then i just sort of um sprayed and painted mine and stuck wooden numbers on which Perfect. you can buy from Hobbycraft, and that just gives it like another like little extra dimension to it um and obviously nikki's given you all of her ideas sorry to interrupt you nikki which are beautiful and amazing but the whole point of this feature is that she kind of gives you all the expertise to do it and then you can go and make it completely your own so if you wanted to do black and white or if you want to do any other colors or you know draw santa on them or something make them more kid friendly you can do it however you want can't you but that's the whole point i think like it's just giving an idea isn't it yeah it's nice for you to go and put your own twist on it and i think that's really lovely and if you do put your own twist on it then nobody else is going to have what you have exactly and then you have to instagram us and tweet us so we can see and then steal your idea for next year (laughs) (laughs) we've also got um quite a lot of decorations for the table as well haven't we so we've got lots of things you can hang up gifts you can make but um we really care about, you've gone to all that trouble in the Christmas issue and December issue of making these amazing meals for Christmas, using our recipes, obviously. But how about the table? What's going to look like when it gets to the table? And Nikki's came, come up with some great ideas for uh, making it look extra special, haven't you? Definitely. Um, one of my favourites are the sort of dip-dyed ombre-type napkins. Mm-hmm. Um, so you buy plain white napkins and yeah. you customise them yourself. Um, okay. So you buy a fabric dye, um, which you can buy all over the shop. Yeah. Um, we've given you some suggestions in the issue, but yeah, you can buy it anywhere. Okay, great. Um, and then, so you can just dip it straight in so you follow the pack instructions and you can just dip it straight in mm. but I painted mine on so that it had a graduated colour as it goes it's up really be- really beautiful really classy as well yeah and effect. like you're never going to get like the same result but mm. actually I love that because mm. there's like that's the charm about it um, and the good thing is is as long as you follow the instructions like set it on the pack then you can wash them and yeah. reuse them again fantastic um, so it's like a really lovely I just think they'd look great on, a, on your table so. yeah and again you can use whatever colour you want so if you're theming your Christmas table, if it's red or blue or green like we've done, you can do whatever will suit you, right? Um, we're running out of time and I don't want to give away all of our secrets no. from the feature, but just a sort of tease of other things that we've done that people can look out for. Nikki, tell us some of the... Don't go into what we're doing with them because people have to read people the feature. People have to buy the issue. But uh, tell, tell them what to look out for. So we have gold sprayed charger plates. Great. Um your centrepiece decorations um i'm not going to tell you about that no have to have a look um our own christmas crackers and place names um and of course they're slightly foodie related because that's who we are cos olive yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) wonderful all right well thank you so much nikki it's a really great feature such easy and clever ways to make your christmas that much better handmade and diy and um, do check out nikki's business betty lou design thank you thanks bye Thank you to everyone on today's podcast and to you lovely listeners for tuning in. Remember, you can get even more Olive Magazine goodness in the magazine itself, which is in all good supermarkets and news agents now. You can read us via our digital app or at olivemagazine.com. Plus, you can get in touch with us directly via social media at Olive Magazine. 
Now, here's the bit where I beg for you to review and rate us. I know I do it every single episode, but each rating or review, if you have the time, makes a massive difference to our reach, i.e. even more people will get to hear us. So, spread the love, if you please. And until next time, we hope you get all the treats this Halloween. Bye! Bye!